I feel like if there was a homework assignment for us or like multiple homework assignments, one of them is to think, how do we use technology to deepen the patterns that we want to grow rather than just participate in the patterns that we actually say we are, we are against? I'm going to start now. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, co-editor of Octavia's Brood, writer, facilitator of Black liberation work, auntie extraordinaire, doula, and pleasure activist living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. In today's show, we are really excited. We're going to do a deep dive into a series of novels that Octavia Butler wrote that is referred to as the Patternist series. The novels in this series include um, Wild Seed, Survivor, Mind of My Mind, Clay's Ark, and Pattern Master. And we're going to get in in a little while into um, uh, more uh, of a little synopsis of each of those stories. But we wanted to um, tee you up with some exciting um, pieces before we, before we get into the books themselves. Um, as always, we wanted to begin with a quote um, from Octavia Butler's work. Um, and today we decided to start with a quote from um, Wild Seed which is one of the most popular books in the Patternist series. Um, And the quote is, um, when her enemies came to kill her, she knew more about surviving than they did about killing. And this quote feels especially uh, useful as we enter into talking about the Patternist series because the Patternist series, um, I don't know how you think about this, Adrian, but I think it's actually one of the most violent of I, I think it's the most violent series that Octavia Butler wrote. Uh, particularly, yeah, I think in some ways it's the most traumatizing, uh, like traumatizing, like where you're like walking with someone directly through the most traumatizing things that are happening to them. Exactly. Like, and Clay's arc particularly contains like some extremely uh, violent sequences. This is a this is a series in which, um, in in a way, Octavia Butler is dealing. Um, She's dealing in some of her most direct language with violence, with the with violence, trauma and oppression. Um, And so um, we're going to get into that. But we wanted to um, contextualize the series because we know that, um, you know, when people go to Octavia Butler's work, um, the the books that that people tend to read earliest um, are often Kindred, um, the Parable series, and the Xenogenesis trilogy. And so um, we wanted to give a little bit of contextualization for what what is the Patternist series and what, what makes it a little bit different. Um, and I wanted to begin by reading two quotes from um, interviews that Octavia Butler gave. Um, and one, this first quote is from an interview that she did just before she died with Jashinda Saunders. She says, when I got the idea for Pattern Master, I was 12, but I had no idea how to write a novel. I tried, but it was quite a few years before I was able to write it. When I got the idea for Mind of My Mind, I was 15. When I got the idea for Survivor, I was 19. Finally, when I got the idea for Kindred, I was in college. My ideas generally come from what's going on around me, but sometimes they come from other novels. For instance, when I wrote Pattern Master, I included these people called the Clay Arcs, And they were just kind of a throwaway people. But I didn't like them as throwaway people, and I wanted to know more about them. So I wrote Clay's Ark, and I learned about them as I went along. Mm. Um, One of the reasons why we wanted to bring this quote in specifically is to contextualize that the order in which the Patternist series was written 
is different than the order in which it's presented. If you, if you, you know, if you ever get a copy of, if you get copies of all of them, or if you've read them all, you'll notice that they, they follow a chronology where Wild Seed is the earliest book, um, but the, but the actual first book that was conceived in the series is Pattern Master. Um, and, you know, in this same interview, one of the things I love about Octavia Butler talking about her own writing processes, she she says in this interview that when students ask her how long does it take to write a book, she'll say to them, uh, your whole life up until the point that you publish it. And, 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 you know, in her case, it's really true that, you know, she she had these ideas when she was so young, like it took her, you know, in some cases, 30 years to write these books. Yeah. And I um, love that it was a case of writing backwards, that it was just like, oh, how would this happen? Well, how would that happen? Well, how would this happen? Like, it's like exactly. backwards planning, but backwards, like creative process. Backwards creative process, exactly. Um, and then this other quote that we wanted to share uh, comes from a different interview. It's an interview that Octavia Butler did with um, the uh, magazine Sojourner in 1999. And in this in this part of the interview, um, oh. she is... Did you yeah, need to turn me. off something? Yeah, I'm going to turn that off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you need to do that? That was the most passive-aggressive way. That was so, like, southern of you. That was so what? That was so southern of you. Did you need to turn off a little something? Did you need to turn off the sound? over there, okay. Um <laughs> So one of the things I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this quote in is that it, it kind of contextualizes one of the ways in which the Patternist series is, is different than the parables. Um, because both series, in a way, are dealing with um, religion and belief and special yeah. powers. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but parable deals with the, those questions in a really different way than the Patternist series does. So I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, Octavia Butler says... In the parable books, what I did was have my character offer a long-term goal backed by religion, give people a goal that is backed by religion and a plan that would last more than a generation. And it's not so much a way of making people better as a way of diverting their energies in a direction that would not be quite so negative, i.e., to go to the stars, to get to heaven while you're still living. This is the kind of project that will give people an outlet for their competitiveness and their desire to be important in things we don't always use to good effect. I can see it going wildly wrong. I can see us devastating this world in the effort to reach others, but that's the way my imagination works. Unhappily, that's one of the places things might lead, but my character has people practicing living in self-sufficient communities in the hope that it won't happen. I've been trying to fix humanity all along, but the parable books are the first time I've tried to do it with the material at hand. Rather than with special powers, as in the patternist books, it's just people using their own hands, their own brains. Um, so this is really a good way of like differentiating um, that in the patternist series, she's really looking at what what it what how would it shift the trajectory of <laughs> the planet and of our future if we had a group of people who had special powers and um perhaps perhaps exist initially on the margins of society and then ultimately learn to harness their special powers and direct the events of the world, which is ultimately what happens in this series um so I guess another thing we should say at the top of this episode is that this episode is going to be a little bit spoilery. Um, you know, we're going to, we're probably not going to do too much spoilering of specific plot lines, but, um, but there, there may be some stuff along the way. So just bear that in mind. I plan to be very spoilery. I, okay. We, we know how Adrian does. You know how I do. I just keep going. <laughs> I get excited. Like, and then this part, <laughs> but I also feel like, um, I have said this particularly about this series that I don't feel like it's spoilable. Like, I feel like this is such a rich, rich, rich series that even if you hear major plot points, the distinction between hearing those plot points and actually reading how she writes them, what happens, how she unfolds it is very different. And I feel like it, I don't know that I don't know for sure that it can be spoiled. I feel like it can't be. Um, but I also have read it, you know, many, many, many times. And I agree with you. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that. So uh, in that spirit, do you want to? Take us through um, the synopsis of the of the five novels in the series. Yeah, awesome. 
Um, so I will start, um, I'll actually start from the last one that she wrote, which is the first one. Now it's seen as the first one in the series, which is Wild Seed. Um, and Wild Seed is one of my favorite books that exists anywhere in so any good. writing ever. So um, beautiful. and the protagonist is Anwanyu, um, and she is a healer. She has the capacity to look within herself and to heal um, whatever is is out of order within herself. She has the capacity to shape shift. Um, she has the capacity to live for a really long time because of that combined practice. And when we find her, she is living um, in an area that is about to be um, basically enslaved. It's an area of, and it's like a family that she has been with, a community that she's been with for a long time and taken care of for a long time. A community and that she's helped to create. A community that she has helped to create. And like, this is something that continues to happen throughout the book and books, actually, is that she is really a matriarch in like this you know, quadruple sense of the word. Like she creates a community, creates community, creates community. And then along comes Doro. And the scene where Doro finds Anyanwu is to me still one of the most erotic um, scenes I've ever read or heard. I mean, he so basically real. is like, he is sensing her across time, space, and distance, like sensing this specialness, this power that she has, and she can feel him coming long before he arrives. And the thing about Doro is that he's a body snatcher. So Doro, um, his whole family is killed when he's very young. And the only reason he survives is because somehow he is able to leap as a consciousness from his body into the body of one of the people who is um, causing this harm to his family. And from oh, then on, actually, actually, yeah. the sorry to sorry to interrupt you. He's responsible for killing off his whole family. Hmm. That that that's the trauma of how he basically he go he gets really because sick he jumps as a he child jumps into the rest of them right he yeah he gets really sick as a child because he's like going through the um the process that they eventually come up with a name for <laughs> I don't remember what the word is for it but like by mind of my mind they've come up with a name for this sort of like it's like puberty but when you kind of come into an aware come come to awareness of your powers and when he wakes up from this illness he leaps into the body of his mother and then his father. And then, and then Ooh. at some point along the way he loses consciousness and which he recalls as, as sort of lasting for um, I think a couple hundred years because he's basically leaping from body to body to body and doesn't understand what's happening. It takes him like uh, decades before he really comes to understand what's going on. Oh my um, God. Because, See, this because he's a child. Memory works because in my compassionate memory, I'm just like something bad's happening. And then this is his response, but it's totally like the thing right. is just like, this is within him and it still happens. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and he's a child when it, when it happens, yeah. which feels like a really important detail, it's right? That he's like nine. The fact <laughs> that this trauma happens to him so early, mm -hmm. then he's going through his entire life. Like no one can possibly understand this trauma and I need to identify other people who have other special powers because he starts to feel like uh the human like humans who don't have special powers are so expendable to him right like yes. he can jump into any of them it just doesn't matter so then he's like the only people that really matter are people who have some kind of special power and so he begins basically this process of trying to breed together people with special powers, collecting people with special powers. And Anyanwu calls him. Um, her special power is so potent that she calls him and he's not able to impact her in the same way that he's able to impact all these other people. Um, and they kind of form this initially what feels like a romantic or love relationship, but quickly becomes a very toxic and abusive massive love affair and I will say that a few years ago I was doing an event um, like Octavia's brood like kind of pre-event um, and someone asked in a session on this book you know did anyone ever try to heal Doro and particularly did Anyanwu ever try to heal Doro and it's it's such a it's led to me like rereading the books in such a different way because yeah. it's like, oh, how do we look at Doro as this traumatized child and a traumatized child who then like everything else that happens for the, the rest of the five books is tied back to that root of traumatic, um, traumatic survivalist behavior. So mm -hmm. that's Wild mm -hmm. Seed. 
And then from Wild Seed, the storyline goes to Mind of My Mind, which is um, Doro and Anyanwu. And now Anyanwu has shifted into the character called Emma. Um, she's like become this grandmother character. And one of the children of their lineage is um, uh, Mary. And Mary has all kinds of trauma also in her life. <laughs> um, but she's mm -hmm. able, so this is like when you think of like the pattern like she's the first person who's able to pull other um, other folks who have special powers into a pattern. And the whole book is about her learning to har harness this power. There's other folks who have um, who have powers who come into relationship with her. And the thing that's important here is all of them are suffering. All of them are people who we would look at and say, oh, they are either depressed or um, manic or, you know, there's other stuff going on and they're not able to get it together to like live a normal life. Right. Um, and then coming right. together, they form something called a first family and they begin the pattern um, and they begin this next level of evolution. And this is one of the biggest spoilers. So cover your ears if you really don't want to hear it. But <laughs> by the end of Mind of My Mind, that pattern is able to come together and defeat Doro. And I won't give a lot of details there, but for the sake of what we talk about here with Surviving Apocalypse, what feels important is that it is a collaborative effort that is able to defeat an individualist effort. And yeah. that, um, and it's so powerful, right? Like it's such a powerful collaborative effort. And it kind of comes like, it's not like a planned effort necessarily, like, oh, we could all do this. It's more like, um, there's something organic that longs to be done in a collaborative way. And all of these people are able to come together to do it. And that a lot of people have to surrender their power to a greater power in order for it to work. So those feel like really important pieces there. Um, and then the next book, you know, so there's a lot of controversy around this, the next one, which is Survivor, um, around where it comes in the order of things. And she wrote it and then was like, I don't want this published anymore. And for a long time, I actually didn't read it because I was like, Octavia doesn't want us to read it. <laughs> but then so I, I shouldn't did. read it. And then we I did. totally did. <laughs> and I was like, well, Octavia, you know, you're a genius. You only gave us a limited amount of work. I have to read it. And I can see why she didn't want it published. It does have like structural flaws as a story compared to her other work. And it's also totally brilliant and interesting. But in this one is a religious community that is seeking refuge on another planet, which already has another race on it, an alien race to humans. And the protagonist actually gets down with one of the members of this other race. I think marries, or, you know, like actually forms a relationship with. Um, and so Survivor is about what's happening on this other planet. And then the next book is called Clay's Ark. And Clay's Ark is the one you mentioned in the quote. Um, an astronaut lands back to Earth and is carrying this disease that transmutes the DNA of human beings and makes them more animalistic, um, less vocal, more uh, like faster, able to smell everything. Like so they develop in this way. And it feels very interesting, like as a as a counter that you have the the Mary, you know, the, the line from Dora and Anyanwu, which is like developing this mental capacity, this telepathic pattern, uh, mm -hmm. able to control things with their minds. And then you have this other group that is now um, evolving and adapting and changing towards being more animalistic, right? And so mm -hmm. all of that comes to a head in the Pattern Master, which is the first book that she wrote. So all of this was her trying to understand what she had even come up written with the here, first place right she was like when i was 12 i had this idea and i all these novels right came out of it so by the time we get to the pattern master series the the folks who have this telepathic and telekinetic power have evolved to be these like master masters of the universe overlords over everyone and they have control over those they call mutes who do not have the capacity to tap into the pattern and communicate um telepathically and then so those mutes are enslaved, right? So these this group of people who started off as like the margins of society who were suffering so much has now become the, the folks who are holding power and they've enslaved this other group of people. And then that whole group is at war with the Clayarchs over territory of the planet. Um, and they consider the Clayarchs subhuman, but it's very interesting 
as you're reading it, because for me, I always read it and I was like, I don't know which one I would want to be, <laughs> you know, right? Um, right. Because the clay arcs are really fascinating, and in some ways, the adaptation that's happening for them makes them much more aligned with the planet, like with actually being able to survive on a planet like ours. Um, well, in another thing that is interesting yeah. in in Pattern Master in terms of like the future that's being envisioned, that that it it is these. Um, you know, oppressive overlords with telekinetic powers. But something has also gone wrong in the technological development of the planet. So now the, quote, something has gone wrong, quote unquote. But like they also are overlords of what has now like reverted, what is a society that has reverted back to a feudal society. So people are like, they travel from place to place on horseback. They live in like small little kingdom kind of places with like castles and 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 grounds and and they occasionally in their journeys will come across ruins of once great cities but so it's like it's clearly far enough in the future that that the way that people fundamentally it's almost as though it's it's unclear and it's left unclear i think intentionally probably intentionally whether the, uh, that whether there was an intentional abandonment of technology because of the um, preeminence of telekinetic powers or whether there's something, some other reason why it went wrong. And, and I kind of like that that's left mysterious um, because I think there's this interesting, like Clay's arc and Survivor are, you know, they're books that are both dealing with like the effects of space travel you know, like Clay's arc is dealing with the potential effect of space travel on Earth if people come back carrying like a disease from space. And Survivor is dealing with the potential impact of like our colonizing efforts on another planet. Um, and both of those journeys, to me, feel very connected to Parable of the Talents, right? Absolutely. So it's like it, there's a way in which there's it's so there is the this super, like super interesting connection. way in which there's the, all of these novels are connected to the same um, kind of trajectory of like what's gonna what's gonna who's gonna leave the planet? What's gonna happen if they leave the planet in search of other worlds? And then what happens to the planet that get the people who get left behind? I really love that you're placing it in that like larger concept too, because I feel like I love that Octavia was very aware of this. And I think she was like, oh, I'm going to have more time to write more. Um, but I feel like there's this this piece here that's like, oh, she did explore um, and was writing out an exploration of going to other worlds and the colonizations of those worlds. And to me, um, there's a seed there or a kernel there of like, oh, I wonder if one of those is the place where the disease, the clay's arc disease or virus or adaptation came from, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, where yeah. does that come from? And what does it look like at home? And I will just say that, because I, I also think like, oh, Octavia either foresaw or interacts with so many other stories that come out is I just recently saw the movie Annihilation and it caused me to then go back and read the entire series by Jeff Vandermeer. And um, it's also basically about like what happens if something alien comes and lands and starts to create adaptations um, on the planet. And I'm just like, oh, Octavia was so prescient so early in this. It's like we, we think so very uh, in such like small ways. Uh, in the worlds that we're living in around like, oh, what is happening here day to day? And not like there's so many things happening in this great large universe. And so many of those are going to impact us. And like, how do we prepare ourselves to be well impacted? <laughs> because yeah. when Clay's arc happens, <laughs> we're just like, oh, try to shoot those guys, you know, um, yeah. and like just go to war with them forever rather than being like, what could be the potential benefit of having these two kinds of um, adaptation happening on this planet at the same time? Mm, yeah, so it's so interesting too to think about how um, how writers, how off science fiction writers who were writing at the time that Octavia was writing um, were imagining so far into the future, and um, and how you know we're sort of we're in the time period now that many of those writers were imagining into um and it's so it's 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 interesting to consider i think the other thing that it comes up for me is like the um question of 
not just how um, how the planet would be impacted by what comes here. Um, you know, like what are all of the many p- possible side effects of the um, of the effort to colonize other spaces, which is you know, which is like history repeating itself, right? Yeah. Of like, um, you know, when when Europeans were colonizing the the quote unquote new world, you know, they brought diseases, um, and so. Um, so I think that that's really fascinating. And then I also think about like how, how in all of these books, Octavia is really talking about how we carry our marginalizations with us, you know, as you were, as you were pulling forward the, you know, that Doro is carrying his trauma through the whole, he's trying to do this visionary thing of, yeah building through breeding, building a a community of special superpower people. Um, But he's moving through that with his trauma. And then similarly, in Survivor, one of the things that's kind of interesting in that book is that the protagonist, whose the character's name escapes me right now, but the protagonist is, I think, a transracial adoptee. Like she's an African-American woman who was adopted Uh by like a religious white family. Um, and then, you know, basically forced to go on the space trip with them to colonize this other planet. And in the process of arriving there, um, she ends up in some way getting, getting connected with the, um, the alien race there and, um, basically choosing them over her community, over over her quote unquote adopted family, but so it's this interesting thing about there is this piece throughout the whole this whole series where people are trying to people are moving with their marginalization, yes. and from that place trying to figure out who is my family. Like there, you it, she's really teasing out the whole question of whether or not there could be such a thing as a family of origin for someone who has special powers right yeah and um and what then and therefore like whether or not there is such a thing as a family of origin right and like and what is it what is the what is the utility of a family of origin if your family of origin is a space of trauma for you Um, I love that and you know this idea that Doro like can't even love right like much less create family like he you know in the it starting from the wild seed series through mind of my mind we see on yanwu over and over again creating family like having children yes. or yes. coming into community that she is operating as a grandmother to as a healer to falling in love with people and that doro that she's basically like trying constantly to protect them from this man um who there's this other quote i fa- i have here um he could not tell her he was angry because she did not love him. Even he, meaning Doro, could not utter such foolishness. Certainly he did not love her. He did not love anyone except perhaps some of his children. But he wanted Anyanwu to be like his other women and treat him like a god in human form, competing for his attention, no, how, no matter how repugnant his latest body, nor even whether he might be looking for a new body. And there's something about just the way that their dynamic works that to me is like, it's almost everything about how men and women have to relate and have been relating um, for mm. most of our existence. It's just this idea of, you know, the, the essence of patriarchy, right? It's like, yes. I want you to treat me like a god, bring me my dinner, bring me my slippers, clean the house, give me children. I want you to treat me like a god, no matter how repugnant I may be. And that as a, as a woman, like what were her tools to fight back against that, right? And mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. of it was, you know, the tool of offering something akin to love. Some of it was then denying her, denying herself to him. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but like Anyanwu regularly would remove herself from him. So she went off as a shapeshifter and was like, I'm just going to be a dolphin for a year. I'm going to be like um, uh, maybe an eagle. You know, like she goes and she does like four different adaptations of different things. Oh, and she like makes like sexy dolphin love also. Oh, she totally makes sexy dolphin love. There's like lots of sexy shapeshifter sex in Wild Sea. you better roll up on that dolphin. Anyway, so... (laughs) 
Uh, that's another reason to read these because there's some sexy dolphin love if you yeah if you needed that. Um, but I do feel like this. I want to return to this piece around like just taking herself away from him, and him having to finally contend with. I always thought you were going to be there, like all these other people come and go, but I thought you were becoming my new steadiness, and like to understand like oh this relationship is one that spans centuries, right? And I think that to me there's something there. Um, that I keep thinking about our survival in that where it's like we continue to engage with capitalist, patriarchal, um, racist (laughs) human beings on this planet with equal, you know, like trying to be loving and hold them accountable and, you know, believe in some organic development that they're going to like evolve and become better and like trying to protect ourselves and our children from them. And at a certain point, it's like, what does it mean to remove ourselves from them? Right. To say, actually, you don't get to have us. You don't get to have all the people who have been trying to create care and community and family. Right. And I, it's such a large, for me, it's like this, I can see the large scale um, activity of it, you know, like we would need to find another planet to go to and just be like, you know what, y'all can just right. stay here and and have at it, have at the sort of competitive, um, repugnant behavior and just knock yourselves out, literally. Right. Um, and yeah. and it feels like this is where like mind of my mind is like the lesson there, right? Because like exactly. throughout throughout the like that there is that tension in throughout Wild Seed and Mind of My Mind where. Um, where Amwanyu keeps trying to escape and build a family elsewhere, and then Doro keeps finding her, and then yes. using using her relation her love relationships as a weapon to yes. make force her into compliance, which is like enslavement one hundred and one, and you know, so it's like that 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 is like an ongoing tension, and then there's the the backdrop of. Um, in these other stories, Clay's Ark and Survivor, that people are like leaving the planet as like another way of being. But then, you know, at the end of Mind of My Mind, it's sort oh, of like so there the 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 lesson is like actually, you know, the reason why Anwanyu couldn't defeat Doro and the reason why she also couldn't make him love like or act from a place of love is that like she alone couldn't do anything there's nothing that she alone could do no matter how powerful she was um and and as long as she was like orienting to it as something that she like was solely responsible for yes like she was basically like stepping into his story about the two of them and then acting like that story was true which that story was really about like we are we are these ancient beings we're the only ones who are like ourselves right and part of her i feel like was part of her i feel like is is constantly in resistance to that just by the nature of the fact that she's like building family at all times right she's like i don't actually care about that part um but that's exactly. his story right and so then mary comes along yeah mary mary uh. who like interestingly shares the same relationship tension with with doro that on on one you has like there's that real i mean this is one of the things i love about octavia butler's work that she's constantly like fucking with like sexual taboos so there's that whole intense scene where like mary's like coming of age and she's like i really want to fuck doro yeah exactly <laughs> and they like totally have sex in her like childhood room and it's like fucking weird it's but like weird. and i think it's also really one of these powerful things where it's just like oh like what is the monster that we desire right and how do we actually understand that it's like oh there's something, there's something, there's something monstrous that we've been told to desire and it's about power and we've been oriented that that's what we're going to want. And so the time comes and she wants that. And then there's something about having gone through that and been like, oh, fuck, no, actually, no, this, this, I don't want this monster and I don't want this monster to continue. Exactly. And then she's the one in, in a way, you know, like because of Doro's breeding program, she's the one who ultimately has the power to like harness. She has the ability to harness the collective power and direct it in such a way that Doro ultimately can be defeated. But there are these lessons that she has to learn, a lot of which are happening across that line of like, um, uh, how women have historically been like molded or or like forced basically to like use our sexual powers to like keep 
um, toxic patriarchy at bay, right? So she has to move through that lesson in order to to be able to fully understand the scope of like the harm that's happening. Um, yeah, it's really... And it's so mm-hmm. good. Like I want to... I feel so geeked out about this because I have been thinking a lot about technology and telepathy. And like in this, you know, talking about what Mary is able to do is basically she's able to feel into, it's almost like if you close your eyes and the world becomes a grid. um, And like on that grid, you can see and feel like other people who have some kind of special power or some kind of capacity and reach out and connect to them and create these like lines, nexus points, you know, between you. So she's able to do this. And to me, when I think about like, you know, moving from like, you know, I went to elementary school, middle school and high school without having the internet, right? Without having that way of connecting with other humans in real time. And then I remember, you know, coming on to, I think, MySpace and then Facebook and then other things. Remember MySpace? MySpace, yo. And Friendster, actually. (laughs) Remember Friendster? Friendster was like the way back, right, for me. Um, And LiveJournal. You know, yes, right. (laughs) Now we know LiveJournal forever. But so, so, you know, for me, Friendster was one of the first times where I was like, oh, I'm having a feeling. I'm going to share it in real time. Like, I basically started emo blogging back on Friendster, right? And now to see how that has shifted and how that's moved. So on a regular basis, I see people sharing stuff where I'm like, oh my God, like I can't believe you're sharing that. And, you know, um, like, you know, it just feels so personal. It feels like it's happening right now or it just happened. And you're not taking any time to actually process through that emotion within yourself. It's just automatically going onto the internet forever. And you, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I limited the tag, you know, I limited the post to certain people or whatever. But basically, it's out there, right? And so we're starting to weave these patterns of deep intimacy with each other. And we're starting to do it in in faster and faster time. Now we're starting to live you know, live Facebook or Instagram live or whatever. So it's like, this is happening right now to me, right? Right, um, right. So I feel like in this way, we are using technology to meet this desire we have for that level of instant communication and being known and knowing each other. Um, and we still think that we have some boundaries, just like the, the people initially as they're coming into the pattern they think, oh, I can sh- throw up a shield or I can throw up some kind of boundary. I can still protect myself. And and it's like, yeah, unless you come across someone a little bit more powerful than you um, or Cambridge Analytics, right, <laughs> in our right. lives, right? It's just like, yes. unless you come across someone who's yes. like, mm, I just want to use this to, um, you know, mine your data and use it for my purposes, right, to shape elections or to shape what you're purchasing, Right. Yes. Yes. It's so interesting. Like we're at such an interesting moment. I'm so glad you're you're drawing this connection between like the the technology we have access to, the speed at which it's moving, and like what we're potentially on the cusp of. Because like, uh, because you know, at the end of Mind of My Mind, we have the beginning of the pattern, and then we skip forward like hundreds of years into the future, and then we have this like oppressive society of overlords who like um and an entire world at war right um and and i think that like it you know there's a tension in mind of my mind and patternist series around like the um you know there's the the triumph of defeating Doro, who is the oppressor, right? And then what happens at coming? And I always that, think then- that that's the missing book, right? Like, and actually, when I saw Survivor existed, and I was like, "Ooh," you know, like when I went to read it, what I was hoping <laughs> is that it would pick up on what happens in that gap between, um, you know, after Mary has had that moment, and then what happens later with the Pattern Master, um, because I'm like, well. Is it because Doro's, you know, DNA and Doro's like breeding intentionality and power dynamics or, you know, was that what kind of created the problem or was it that like having been marginalized, which this is what I, you know, like I think of it as the Israel problem, right? It's like having gone through the trauma of being outsiders or having gone through the trauma of like not having home that you cannot 
create something that's not all about defensiveness, security, and then recreating the patterns of violence. Well, exactly. And this is this is the the piece that I was moving towards that like yeah. I think I think where this really relates to this moment that we're currently in is, you know, in response to the Cambridge Analytica scandal, I, I'm watching all these people on Facebook saying, So are we all gonna leave? Yes. Are we all gonna leave? And and waiting, waiting for there to be some group of people who are the first to go. Yes. And and I think part of it, um, um, you know, the culture writer, Wesley Morris, who is also one of the co-hosts of the podcast Still Processing that we both love, okay. he, he talked about uh, in one of their recent episodes the fact that, like, part of what's happening is that people are going through kind of a mourning process because these technologies, these social media technologies, when they were first created, were really presented as these, like, social utopias that would yes. have this democratizing and unifying influence on yeah. society. And, of course, what we're all witnessing is absolutely that's not the effect of these I mean there is a positive effect of these technologies to that end and yeah. also of course these technologies are able to be used to uh, facilitate war right and so it's the same like we are in this moment of tension right of like having to be aware of these technologies that we all rely on to feel connected to each other are also being used to cause Against harm yeah. around the world and like that's exactly what's happening with the pattern in <laughs> the pattern yeah. series well and I think it shows the vulnerability of pattern right it's like if you are not you know and I think of like this the way that the I Ching talks about this is like there's a righteous moral behavior. There's a noble behavior. There's like something in us that has to, or like what Maya Angelou calls the inviolate place. Like there's got to be something in us that is good and that is like looking out for others and caring and like, you know, that there's something fundamental there. And if we don't protect that place, and if we don't hone that place, then we end up with power that is not tempered by humanity, that does not have some sense of connectedness, of care. And that that to me is such a, um, that's the risk of connection without interiority, right? Like connection mm. that doesn't, isn't tied to like, you have to do your own work. You have to do self-reflection. And like Dora was unable to be vulnerable. And so he got swallowed up by a pattern. But the pattern did not necessarily attend to everyone's interior life and their sense of safety, right? Their sense of like wholeness inside. And so when I look at like, oh, how do we connect with each other without repeating those patterns? So much of how I interact with social media is like, how do I uplift connectivity, vulnerability, and intimacy? And how do I do a right do away with the rest right like i'm like i'm not here for um the you know sort of call out culture i'm not here for like the takedown culture i'm not here for even just repeating all the horrific news right like i'm like where can i feel something and be with others who are feeling something in real time i long for that i need that i actually want to be you know this is why i don't give up social media completely because I'm an introvert. I, I like to hermit. I could like live my whole life. You know, this past three weeks, I was just like by myself in a cabin, right? And even in that place, I was like, I still want connection. I still want to be tapped into some patterns somewhere. Where can I find the most loving, generative, creative patterns where I can be vulnerable? Because I, I need that. And I think our next evolution depends upon vulnerable interconnection, right? And so I'm like, oh, how do we intentionally bring that into this place? Because who knows, you know, at what point our technology will leap into our bodies, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it already feels like it is in some ways. Like I'm like, I'm rarely without some form of technology connecting me to the world. Um, the next generation is coming up with that. And so I'm like, if that is our path towards telepathy, then how do we use those spaces to generate the kind of being and the kind of connection and the kind of pattern that we actually want to see in the world? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think about the, the, <laughs> Obviously, as a parent, I think about the role of technology, like kind of constantly, because I feel like, you know, my work around social media and engaging with like the the broader pattern of society is my work is really about limiting engagement because 
um, because I have the pattern of my family, which I actually have to be like the most present for possible. And social media is actually, you know, um, ultimately the role that it plays in my life. Um, I mean, beyond beyond the part where it enables me to feel connected to other people that don't live in the same place that I live, yeah. it does play a really disruptive role in my family life. Um, mm. And and can you that's, say, can you say like another word on that? Like how well, does just, it? You know, yeah. just that like the that um, as I know you know, like we we all have really addictive relationships with our phones. Um, with with social yes. media itself, you know, like even the someone I I like read a scientific article that at some point a few years Not ago a that said that article. Okay. that said that said that that actually the act of the act of stroking our phones, like because we stroke our phones with our fingers in order to do things with them, actually encourages us to have like a. Uh, like we, 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 it, 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 like, uh, it, yes. What's the word? It stimulates the, the parts of the centers in our brain that are stimulated by like petting, stroking parts by, by that are stimulated by petting, um, animals. And so like, if you have the, (laughs) that is not where um, I was going. (laughs) I mean, or, but actually I think that where you were going is a really important thing to note, right? That like, what are all the things that we stroke in our lives and how would we feel if those things went missing, right? Like I know that if I suddenly can't find my phone, I then I, I, I feel like I have to stop everything until I can find it. Right. And so that is a, that is a really disruptive force in my life. And, and it, it inhibits me from being able to, I mean, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm not saying anything original here, but it, the the things like that actually, for all of the positive, wonderful things that social media does for us, there are ways that it acts on us, that we act on it in a day-to-day, hour-to-hour way that are disruptive to our ability to actually connect with people. So like most parents, I have the experience of my kids having to sometimes repeat themselves to me, not because I was too far away in the house to hear them, but because I was looking at my phone and didn't hear them the first two times that they said something to me and they were standing right next to me, right? So like that is a very real problem that means that like the pattern that I'm engaged in through the technology is disrupting the pattern that I'm actually inside of in my actual life right and so I think that like that you know there's this question of like um to me there's this there's this other question of like what are all of the other patterns that we are a part of um that like technology is one of them and social media is one of them, but there are other patterns that are happening and that that our bodies are a part of, that our relationships are a part of. And like I think that, you know, if the patternist if the pattern master's story is like a lesson, then it's a lesson in like you know, some patterns are too great. Some patterns are actually too powerful. Some patterns are too oppressive. And you know, part of part of what is happening in that story is that the clay arcs are trying to get to the pattern master to kill him so yes. that they can disrupt the entire pattern right right and they and, understand and, like if we hit this one person right, right we can take it all such out such a deep vulnerability which again is all about community collectivism and like power and we talk about this all the time is like if we don't decentralize who holds power or like where the pattern masters are, then we create the most vulnerable system possible. And exactly. we continue to do that over and over again, even though we know better. But I think that this, I feel like if there was a homework assignment for us or like multiple homework assignments, one of them is to think, how do we use technology to deepen the patterns that we want to grow rather than just participate in the patterns that we actually say we are, we are against? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It's looking good, at your good, own good like social media realm or in any kind of media realm and being like, does this pattern, does this pattern that I'm participating in actually grow the depth of my experience as a human being? And if it doesn't, it, you know, and, and depth of my experience as someone who can love and be intimate in real time and like say things to people to their face and things like that. So I think that that feels like one really big piece of it. I think the other is to really do some tests on our addiction levels. So like this past three weeks, I was finishing up uh, a couple of books. And so I was like, I'm going to, the first couple of days, I was like, I'm just going to like shrink my social media down. And then I was like, actually with Facebook, I couldn't do it, right? Like I, mm. 
kept going like every two minutes or so I found was my pattern for checking it. And so I just had to like go cold turkey like off of it, right? So I posted a few things, you know, through Instagram, like my daily tarot and different stuff like that. But basically I just wasn't on there. And it was amazing how quickly it both didn't matter to me um, and how quickly, like when I did check back in, you know, like after a week of writing or whatever to be like, hey, you know, I did this. It was like, oh, none of this stuff was really like big stuff. Like it feels big because it's like in a setting of like urgent, urgent, urgent. This notification just came up and something's happening. But like actually when I stepped away from it, like it didn't matter. And what I had been doing mattered a lot. And so I think it would be really useful for all of us to be doing assessments like that of like, can I, if I take time off, if I take two weeks or three, you know, 21 days is supposed to be like a reset, a pattern reset for humans. It's like how long it kind of takes to start to reset something. So like if I do 21 days off of this, what is the impact it has on my life and on my assessment of it? And even with this, like responding to this, you know, security breach, it's like maybe if we don't all say we're getting off forever, but like what would it look like for a huge number of us to say we're taking 21 days? We're going to take 21 days off and actually see if this is still useful, if there's other things we need, like what, you know, what happens when that, when that moves, right? And then I think the third piece, and then I want to hear if you have homework too for people, the third piece to me is really thinking about unaddressed trauma, right? So like going back to the Doro question and really saying like, when I look back at my own history, like, have I turned and looked at all the shadows under all the rocks, like in all the places to think about not just like, oh, you know, do I do this work and does it liberate me? But what are the patterns that I'm allowing to move through me into the future, right? Because anything that's unaddressed is like, that's a bag that you're continuing to carry and that you're going to pass on to the next generation, to this planet, right? Like it's getting carried. So I would love to have that be something that people start to be like, oh, my work as a human being during my lifetime is to understand the trauma that I have inherited and the trauma that I have experienced. And as much as I can to mitigate the harm of that trauma in the course of my lifetime so that what I start to pass down is the wisdom from it, the lessons from it, the beauty of of it, right? The beauty that comes from like, oh, I learned from this and now something else is possible rather than I didn't learn anything from it. I'm just going to continue to pass it along and cause more harm and you can keep <laughs> carrying the load, right? Beautiful. Um, I guess the the last little thing that I would say is that I just, and I think that I kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm like saying this all the time to people, but that I think people just have to map the patterns of their real lives outside of social media. Like I really think that um, that is like the one of the most important things that people can do is to just like like map and be attentive to the patterns of relationships that you have that aren't reliant on a media like a corporate media platform. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thanks. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the god, Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran, Mother Cyborg, and Blue Dot Sessions.